the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. Alrighty, welcome to tonight's presentation, Late Stage College Planning for the Class of 2024. If you have a rising junior, sorry, a junior who is rising to be a senior, yes, it's really happening. Oh my God. Uh, and I'm going to be talking tonight about what to do, how to build a college list or tweak your college list to make sure that you don't suffer from what we call it the shop here, admissions Armageddon, and how to write a college essay, a good one, how to avoid some classic common college essay mistakes. And we're going to be talking a little bit about financial aid, including some of the financial aid rules changes, which are pending for class of 2024 kids. You may or may not have heard about those because they really have not been covered in the mainstream media because they're kind of boring, uh, but they are they are impactful. So welcome to tonight's presentation. I'm Andy Lockwood from Lockwood College Prep, behind the scenes on special assignments out Somewhere in Eastern Long Island is, is Pearl Lockwood. Should be running the chat. Um, so before we get into the slides, uh, just introduce yourselves in the chat. Uh, say your name and where you are logging in from. And that will, of course, let me know that you can actually see and hear and that everything is working well on the technology front. So see a bunch of people coming on. We had hundred something people register so far we've got 42 who have logged in so I see Stuart Christina Candace Tara Colleen Chip Lisa Sherry Wayne and a bunch of other people so just let us know in the chat uh, all right cool Stuart from Syracuse Adrian New Hyde Park or Renata or Adrian New Hyde Park Chicago Colleen Brad, New York. Rick, the ancient legend, is watching. Wow, Rick, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Christine in Tennessee, Mary from Maryland, Kathy from Garden City. So we've got near and far. Rochelle, who moved from Florida, to, no, from Long Island to Florida. I was going to say that would be weird. So you, you made the, the smart move. Okay. All right, good. All right, so um, I'm going to proceed and, and uh, share my, my screen here and go through some slides. And um, at any point, if you have questions, just pop them into the, the chat there because Pearl will be moderating and flagging those, those questions for me, which I'm going to be answering at the end. Uh, she may answer some on the fly. Um, as a reminder, the best questions are going to be the ones, therefore the, most, the ones most likely to be answered are the ones that pertain to more than one person, not ultra, ultra, ultra specific, nuanced, uh, special situation questions. Um, however, don't be shy. So if you think that you have a special situation, you may not, so just put it in there anyway, but you, use your own discretion. Um, I'm just guessing I'm not gonna be able to get to every question, but the whole thing is gonna run about an hour and um, I wanna definitely uh, try, try to answer your, your questions here as best I can. All right, so let me go to the screen share. 
And again, as, as I'm doing this, please let me know in the chat that you can see the, let's see here, what did I do? <sighs> Starting off, good. I already lost it. So watch me fumble around. <clears throat> Workshop's going to go even better now. Here we go. As I was saying, view slideshow. Okay. Let me know you can see the slides. And I'll feel a lot better. Let me know in the chat. Can you see the slides? Yes or no? And I do see Rick already hassling me. That's good. Kathleen says, yes, she can see. Excellent. Okay. Renata, yes. Good. Okay. So here we are talking about late-stage college planning for class of 2024 families, how to avoid admissions Armageddon. Here's what's on tap. What your rising seniors, class of 2024 kids, need to do this summer in terms of making sure they have a balanced strategic college list, uh, how to make sure you're positioned for aid, including scholarships, and the financial aid changes, some of them. I'm going to be covering some college essay tips and traps to avoid. You are going to discover the truth about what it takes to get into a top college in today's challenging environment, how to maximize your eligibility for financial aid and merit aid so that you can afford tuition for all of your kiddos without rating your retirement, cutting back on your lifestyle, or perhaps feeling like you have to sell a kidney or other vital organ. And you will also see how to find best fit colleges that help your child launch for success post-college. I didn't actually put that part in the, um, in the email promos that I sent out, but then I added it back because I really feel like it's so important and it gets so easily sort of overlooked and swept under the rug that uh, I, I felt the presentation would not be complete unless I put that in there. Well, uh, if you're wondering if this is for you, you are in the right place. If you're confused or unsure whether your child can get into a decent college or you're freaking out about how much college costs and whether you can even afford to send your child where she deserves to go. Um, a lot of people come on these presentations actually they're not necessarily freaking out about how much college costs because they, they can write the check for tuition, but they just don't see why they should do it. They don't see the value. So that, that might be a, a related reason. You're in the, in the right place if you're frustrated that your guidance counselor hasn't lifted a finger to help you with an actual plan to get into and pay for college next year. Might not be their fault, by the way, but uh, you might feel like you just lost in space, you know, just bounding around from adventure to adventure, from planet to planet, getting advice from other parents, from the internet, um, from your second cousin's sister-in-law's nephew's uh, friend who got into University of Pennsylvania, bouncing around, um, never finding your way home. However, just to continue with this clever metaphor, um, danger. Uh, you may find that this presentation is even offensive. I don't intend it to be offensive, but I do say things knowing that I will probably offend some people. Um, that's not my intent, though. 
you may discover that much of what you thought you knew about getting into college was wrong. And um, you may not, though. You know, you, you may uh, you may decide that what I'm saying is is not right. And it's up to you. You have your own truth. But I want to just promise you, I don't have any other agenda. I'm not a guidance counselor. I'm not like other college advisors. And I'm certainly not um, a parent of a competitor to one of your kids. Uh, actually, our youngest, Sammy, is a class of 2023 20, child, youngest of four, and she's headed to college. So it's not like I'm done. I mean, it's really just starting in, in a way. But um, I, I really don't have any agenda other than just giving you what I feel based on my 20 plus years of experience is the truth as we have learned it, Pearl and I, in, in our practice. But you may have your own truth. However, um, you, you can't argue with this one. If you don't plan, you, your child may not get into the college he or she deserves. While others who, ha who don't quite have the same grades, they may actually get in. And that happens every year. You don't plan, you may self-sabotage your ability to qualify for tuition discounts and grants and scholarships that you deserve. And if you don't plan, you may end up letting your child down if she gets into, uh, if he gets into his dream college, but you've got to let him down and say, I'm sorry, you did your part, I didn't do mine, I can't afford to send you. So before we start here, just uh, take a breath, imagine that you didn't have any stress about getting into a great college or whether your child could get into a great college. You didn't have any worries about being able to write the check or afford it. And just imagine you had clarity and, and confidence about exactly what your child needs to be doing at all times and what you need to be doing at all times at every step of the way. There's a lot to do, and it may be a very condensed period of time for you right now. I'm recording this as uh, school is about to end and then the summer begins. And that's when a lot of our clients um, get to work on their applications and essays. Um, we had great results from some of our clients. Uh, Kevin got into Stanford and um, this is a nice testimonial from, I think he was actually in the preview video if you saw this. Uh, they were worried about their financial aid packages because their friends weren't getting anything, but then they uh, Rob and Stephanie got great offers from a bunch of schools and the best one from the most expensive school, Boston University. And she said, uh, the Pearl and I knew all the loopholes. Thank goodness we're the best. Uh, another kid uh, got, was very excited to get into uh, Cornell and started trash talking me immediately. Typical stuck up Ivy League kid. Uh, we negotiate, we help parents negotiate their packages. Here's an example when um, we played Brown and Barnard off against each other, actually Smith too. And Brown ended up increasing their award by $17,000. And that was for more than one year, actually. So I'm going to, um, this is a teaching type of presentation, but just to get this out of the way at the end, uh, I'm going to give you a few, uh, if, if you'll give me a few minutes, I'm going to give you some details on how you can get more help from us, uh, which is totally optional, obviously, and it's not right for everyone. And if you don't want to hear it, you can just drop off at that point. So that's just to get that off off my chest out of the way. So if you're wondering, um, you know, why should you pay attention? Who are we? You know, Pearl and I uh, get in the news every so often. I've written uh, several books on various aspects of the financial aid and college acceptance and uh, admissions processes and negotiations. I'm working on a new book, which will probably be the most controversial book I've written yet. Not the most controversial that I planned. But um, it's basically a compilation of 
um, bad guidance counselor advice. <laughs> and uh, so far, I'm up to 25 examples. Uh, my own story, sometimes people say, like, how'd you get into this business? So I'll be quick about this because even though I seem to be attention-seeking, I am really not. Uh, so I went to a really expensive college, Wesleyan University. My dad was um, low income. You know, very, he was uh, an artist, slash, you know, photographer and journalist. He wasn't really motivated by, by monetary things. That's why he pursued that, um, that, those careers. And his attitude was always, you know what, just go to the best school that you can. Don't worry. It'll all work out. Things will take care of themselves. Looks like he could have fed me a little more. Um, anyway, uh, so how did it work out? you know, winging it generally is not the best way to have things uh, kind of settle. I, I racked up more than six figures of student debt, had all sorts of problems with credit issues and mortgage turndowns and you name it, stress. Um, so that's why that we don't want this to befall not only our kids, but your kids. Anyone who watches these presentations that's a big motivator for how this business sort of found me, the business of college advising before we started advising kids on getting into college as well as paying for, for college because they are linked. You know, when I was at, uh, when I was at Wesley and I had a roommate who was, was much lower income, I believe. And he drove like, that, that was the, the old GTI back in the, uh, in the eighties. It was a pretty cool car, very fast, very quick pickup. It was a standard. He had like the, the latest, you know, most hot stereo equipment and uh, was always <clears throat> playing uh, his, you know, various instruments, which he seemed to be able to afford easily, especially when I was like coming home from work and I had to take a quick nap before I had basketball practice. Um, that was when he played a lot of his loud music. But somehow he figured it out I, while I was working in the ice cream shop and I was, you know, working um, as a custodian uh, in, the, in the campus center, the grill G-R-I-L-L-E, as well as the ice cream shoppy. So, you know, somehow he, he figured out I didn't. I knew there had to be a better way. And that's part of what I'm going to be talking to you about today, fast tracking you. And um, like I said before, we have clients get into all sorts of colleges, not just the elite schools, but also regular, you know, quote unquote, regular schools. Some you've heard of, some you haven't heard of. We have clients from all walks of life, all shapes and sizes and colors and creeds and, and you name it. We have a lot of experience. I'm trying to dump this out in the next 50 minutes or so. Um, the thing that may be off-putting to you or, or seem like a little odd is I don't really care where um, anyone goes to college. It's, it's really irrelevant to me. And it's great that some kids, uh, we, we had a client this year on one day get into Harvard, Princeton, Cornell, and Wharton. Um, and my own, uh, my own daughter, my, my youngest one that I mentioned before, she, you know, she got into an Ivy league school too. Happy for people like that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter where you go. It's what you get out of uh, going, how you position yourself to be successful in your life. And that is not always related to where you go to college. In fact, it, I would argue it hardly ever is related to where you go to college. <laughs> so our mission is to help kids launch themselves to be successful after college and get a, a return on investment, a college return on investment, which means getting it for the lowest price possible and getting something more out of it than what you put in. Otherwise, it's just an expense. It's not an investment. We have a different approach. And sometimes people scratch their heads and say, how can you do that? It doesn't even make sense. And my response is, you know, if you listen to other people like guidance counselors or parents or other college advisors, um, they, they don't focus on the bigger picture. They're focused almost exclusively on the four years, this artificial sliver 
of a child's life, not the 40 or 50 years after. I think it's crazy to ignore that because you wouldn't just rush to the airport and have no idea where the flight was going. That's the best comparison I can make. So we have a backward approach. Uh, I'm not going to talk much about it at all um, other than to say it's different, not right for everyone. And it's the first part of the, what I call the P4 system, which stands for plan, path, position, and produce. So plan, and this is not just something we do with our clients, but you can do this on your own, of course. You can do all this stuff on your own. Um, what we do is each child takes an assessment. We use a particular one, but I don't think it really matters which one it is uh, because we have a career counselor. I'm not the expert. She, she's, she is the expert. And the, the, the point of it is to uncover how... Our, our, how your child or how our children are wired and what that can translate into in terms of careers where work feels like play, doesn't feel like work, and they can make a living. They can get off the mom and dad full ride scholarship or the old payroll. <clears throat> and the next step is to, okay, let's whittle that down to maybe three or four careers and majors that lead to those careers and pick the path, the second P, and back into a starter college list that is comprised of colleges that are reputable across that cluster of majors and careers, as well as more mainstream, uh, less different factors, such as size of the college, what its location, and of course, you like the hoodie or the colors, you know, the mascot, all that type of stuff. Um, and if you don't do this, what, what could happen? Well, it, you know, it, it can get pretty rough. Uh, supposedly up to 75% of students change their majors at least once. But if you do it a couple of times or three times, you're on the six-year plan. An extra 80000 bucks per year. That hurts. Or you graduate with a worthless degree. You know, you can major in something like, and I pick on this all the time, you can major in gender studies. What do you do with that? When's the last time, a, you know, you heard a, an HR person or CEO say, hey, get me the gender studies major. I don't know. Things may change, but I'm not a big believer in that. I think majoring in things like that lead you on a one-way, uh, one-way, one-way, um, one outbound trip to a career at Starbucks or Chipotle or something like that. Nothing against those quick serve, fine dining establishments. But um, after you spent, you know, uh, $300,000 in, in tuition and room and board and all that stuff to end up there. I'm not looking, I'm not looking for that. Hopefully you agree. Do you see, yeah, if you can, if you agree with me, do you see why you can't afford just to wing it and you need a plan? If you agree, put that in the chat here, put type the letter Y for yes. I'm going to take a quick sip of water. See a lot of chit chat here. Pearl who ran into Stewart <laughs> in upstate New York. That's very funny. Uh, Kathleen Christie and giving me some Heidi. Okay, good. All right. Like, what am I going to do? Change the slides if you disagree? I mean, I I, I do like to see though that that uh, <clears throat> you agree. <clears throat> All right. The third P. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time on because that has to do with positioning. How do you position your students? So as, as background, 
applications, college applications are way up since before the pandemic. So I think overall they're up 20, uh, 23 or 25% since um, b- before the whole coronavirus thing started. All these schools saw huge upticks initially and they continue to see upticks. <clears throat> Why? Well, there's, you know, there's some obvious ones and not so obvious ones. Why are there more, there are, there are more kids applying to college. There's more colleges per kid being applied to thanks to the ease of the common application where you can press a button. Well, you have to enter your credit card information, of course, but um, for the application fees, um, but you press, press a button and you can pump out college applications to 20 colleges. Um, even though things are a little wonky right now, the stock market overall, people are feeling, feeling pretty flush throughout most of the pandemic and, and into, I guess, this year or so and able to, you know, pay for college and not just look at state universities. Uh, <clears throat> real estate market in many parts of the country is still booming. It's cooled off a little bit lately, but it's still way up and people have equity in their homes and they feel a little bit more affluent than when uh, real estate prices are depressed. Colleges are incredibly um, astute, sophisticated marketers, mostly online, but not exclusively online. So they continue to hone their outreach and sell. So that's, and you know why? Because it works. So that's a big reason why applications are way up. More and more international students are coming since uh, President Biden took office. And of course, the big one, because of many schools saying you don't have to submit your scores as part of your application. You don't have to submit your SAT or your ACT. I'm going to take a little deeper dive into exactly what that means in uh, just some scant moments. So what does that mean? Well, things are changing a little bit. Admissions officers have to rely more heavily on, particularly when when a child does not submit their SAT or ACT scores. They have to look at the transcripts closely, which is not easy because a lot, of, a lot of schools, I know this is going to be shocking or possibly controversial, but a lot of schools inflate their grades. Um, it is really unusual for, for me to even hear about, let alone stumble across in my um, college advising practice, a child with a B minus average. Seems like everyone's got like a 93. Uh, there are no more C averages, by the way. You know, when's the last time you heard of someone who had a C average in high school? They're all you know, upper 80s to low 90s. That's not the way it was 30 years ago, but that's that's the way it is now. But that makes it harder for admissions officers to really, you know, to really ascertain whether someone has the ability to succeed academically in college. There is uh, much more paying attention by admissions officers to demonstrated interest, whether you are actually genuinely interested in that college. They, in general, they don't want to waste a spot on someone who is not interested, someone who's not going to attend that school because that uh, is bad for them. I'll explain that in a moment. And related to that are supplemental essays, such as ones that ask, why are you applying to this college? Why are you interested in us? And I'm going to give you some tips on how to answer that. And there's more reliance on teacher recommendations than, than before again, to try to 
get a glimpse of the child's ability to succeed academically in college. It's harder without SAT or ACT exam results. You know, I'll just leave it at that for now. But the main question, it's not even on the actual common application, but the main question that our kids have to grapple with is this, why you? Why should take you compared to everyone else who basically looks the same on paper? In the sea of sameness, why should we take you compared to, I wrote 50,000 here, but you know what? Northeastern University, I think they got 120,000 applications last year. A lot of the state schools in California get more than 100,000 applications. So this is an uphill battle. And it's not a meritocracy. This is marketing. This is how you say, this is why I'm different. And this is why you should consider my candidacy compared to everyone else who looks the same. This is why I'm not just a tube of toothpaste at CVS or Rite Aid lost in a shelf of, uh, lost in six shelves of Colgate and Crest. Or I'm not a gallon of milk in the milk section, which has, you know, 50 different choices, maybe 20% are oat milk and goat milk and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but but um, how do you prevent yourself from being a commodity? You've got to stand out. You've got to stick out for the right reasons. And I, and I um, if you saw my email this morning, I, um, I, I, I took to task some of the people who typically advise kids on college essays and the college process, specifically guidance counselors, English teachers. They're not generally the most entrepreneurial people. They don't think this way. That's why they're guidance counselors and English teachers. And I'm not, and, and this time I'm not bashing them. I'm, I'm not uh, trying to put them down, but they, they are about as entrepreneurial as you know, the local guy at the DMV, right? They don't care whether they make a sale or not that day because they're getting paid no matter what happens. That's different. So when, when you are applying to college, you need to think of yourself as not a kid applying to college, but as someone who is marketing a kid applying to college. You've got to understand who your audience is and what they want, what their problems are, what their desires are, and how to serve it up and make the strongest argument and advocate for yourself, be persuasive. Um, people like me who are self-employed, we have to do that. Some of us are better at it th than others. I'm, pr I'm pretty good at it. I'm probably a better marketer than I am a college, college advisor, I'll admit that. But um, uh, no matter what you do in life, whether you end up being self-employed or not, you still need to think entrepreneurially, think about what value to bring to the table. And this, for many kids, for many people, as they start, the college process, this is a one is a small but significant step in that um, in that journey to becoming a successful adult. It's learning how to be persuasive and advocate for themselves. So just full circle, you know, I told you before, I don't really care what kids go to college. I care about helping making them make them successful when I'm talking to them about writing essays and you know being persuasive and selling themselves. That's not just a get into college skill. That's a, a life skill. Okay. So when I think about positioning uh, the the you know, the, the um, thing that comes to my mind a lot is the old Avis rent-a-car um, uh, campaign. We're number two, we have to try harder. And the story behind that, which I actually heard from the founder of Avis when I bartended in between college and law school, was that they, Avis knew that they couldn't compete, or their ad guys knew that they couldn't compete with Hertz. They were the behemoth in the industry. So instead of trying to compete, 
and play, you know, play the game on their terms. They beat them at their own game by saying, look, we're not huge and fat and stupid and lazy. We actually have to hustle. And they, they, they tapped into the sentiment about how much, you know, America loves an underdog. That's why there's, you know, Rocky 17 and all these other movies that are just formulaic. And um, they had a really, really successful uh, campaign. So positioning for college admissions, you have, you have to come through a, 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 go through a similar process. What are my strengths? How am I going to, uh, you know, build a body of work that's going to sp speak to um, my, my value that I'm going to bring? Understand that everything you've done. So I mean, this, this presentation is primarily for um, class of 2024 kids, but I, I know there's some younger families here too. Everything's on the record from ninth grade forward, which is why it's ludicrous to not have your first big college meeting, quote unquote, with your guidance counselor until 11th grade. By, by then, half of your, you know, your, college, your high school career is in the books. So understand that admissions officers look at everything you've done in school, out of school, summers, leadership, you know, your, your classes that you've taken, uh, enrichment things, whatever. Ninth grade forward. And academically speaking, the, the, the big three are your grades, your test scores, yes, still, and your rigor, how many AP classes, how many IB classes, that type of thing. How, how much did you push yourself? All the extracurriculars, out of school activities, summer stuff, recommendations, essays, interviews. Um, most colleges don't interview anymore, but there still are a few that, that do. So these are all opportunities to position yourself and to, and to advocate for yourself. And demonstrating interest, which um, can mean visiting colleges, but not only. All right, so I talk a lot about engaging in typical versus atypical activities. Like it's, it's great to be, you know, in National Honor Society. Like a lot of kids are getting inducted into National Honor Society uh, this time of year. And um, when I talk to them, I'll say, hey, congratulations on making it into the top 80% of your class. That is a typical thing that is, like it's nice to be in National Honor Society, but that is not atypical. Colleges want atypical. So there's a difference between being in a club versus founding a club or being an officer of a club, president, vice president, secretary, whatever. There's a difference between going on the cancer walk versus uh, founding your own charity. Now, by the way, um, just because you found a charity doesn't mean you're going you're gonna to get into college or just because you don't do any, you do any of these things doesn't mean you're going to get into college. In fact, there's a lot of, um, this is going to be shocking, but there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, parents or, or dads and moms who will um, set up a 501c3 charitable organization for their kids and do all the work and say, hey, I know they didn't do anything in ninth and 10th grade, but um, we just formed this charity. And now she's all of a sudden very charitable, very philanthropic. Um, you can't do that at the last minute. If you do something like that, it's got to be genuine. All the stuff has to be genuine. There's a difference between being on team versus being captain or all league. Um, someone who likes to write is different than somebody who self-published two books, um, uh, winning a writing contest or a poetry contest, things like that. Someone who likes to draw versus someone who had their work exhibited. So what can you come up with? If you have someone younger, what can you come up with that is atypical? That's what you should be thinking. Don't just do the same stuff that everyone else is doing because you will not get above average results. You'll get average results. Okay. And again, questions on that, pop them in the chat here. 
Um, I will be turning to them uh, in a few minutes as we zip along here. Here's a case study that I've relied on um, for a few years that I think is, is pretty illustrative, as we say. So I had clients who were twins. They were your typical soft-spoken, introverted, yes, dorky, nerdy um, robotics guys who were very into music, too, with a very outgoing, effervescent mom, single mom. So kind of a perfect storm there, right? Painfully shy. And Julie was, the mom was very stressed out about what they, they could do to stand out. We had numerous conversations that lasted months about, hey, what about the organic garden idea? You know, photographing that and documenting that, you know. And they would be like, eh, eh. You know, a little whiny, a little Ray Romano-y, eh. Um, but then, and, and Julie credits me for this one, which I um, take partial credit for not all, <clears throat> they had an opportunity to sort of tr um, go to the middle school as a farm system to uh, promote robotics, and, which to their credit, they seized that opportunity. That was the, something they latched onto, showed initiative and, and, le and, and leadership and a bunch of other positive characteristics. Um, what I will take credit for is as the school year was ending, I said to Matt and Andrew, hey, what happens then? You know, what happens next? What if kids want to do this over the summer after the school year ends? And they said, eh. <laughs> um, so instead, I uh, prompted them, I, <laughs> I challenged them to create a program for them. And they did that. To their credit, they created it out of thin air. And that was pretty cool, for, not only for the kids, but here's what happened next. They um, got some local press. Um, that's Matt on the left. About teaching kids, high school students giving back to young computer programmers. And that got translated into local media, um, local, local t television, which was pretty cool. And we shamelessly um, sent the clip and copies of the news article up to the college of their choice. And here's what happened next, next. We we're on cloud nine. We've gotten to Cornell and we were still in shock. We had no expectations. Couldn't done this without you, etc. Huge thanks to you and Pearl. Um, and furthermore, as a follow-up, just spoke with a Cornell admissions person who said, not only was this incredibly competitive, by the way, of course you hear that every year, uh, a little inside baseball there. And we had exceptional applications and, uh, yeah. So, so you don't usually get feedback from admissions officers, um, directly like that. So that was pretty awesome. All right. <clears throat> Again, pop your questions there. I'll answer them. Moving right along, so I have a lot to cover here. Let's talk about test optional. So all things being equal, notwithstanding the uh, rhetoric that's out there and articles and things that uh, you, you probably read, I probably read more than you, but it's all the same stuff. So you're not missing out. Um, admissions officers would prefer in a vacuum to have SAT or ACT scores because they are helpful. Not perfect, but they're helpful predictors of performance. However, I wanna tell you, understand this. There's a difference between applying test optional and being accepted test optional. And colleges are very murky about exactly who they accept. We're starting to uncover some of the data, but um, it's kind of surprising even, even to me. The idea 
this is not surprising. The idea is behind not requiring tests is SAT and ACT standardized tests is because um, those types of tests favor people with resources, favor affluent families, right? So they're designed to level the playing field. Except um, low-income Asian American families kick our butts. They, they, they tend to score higher than everyone else, every other category that you can slice and dice across the board. So that doesn't really make as, as much sense. I know there's other reasons. I know this is a simplified um, explanation, but that's, uh, this is a, a, an actual fact. Um, and a lot of the colleges, probably all of them, um, state that the purpose of the test optional policies is you know, not just to level the playing field, but it's to increase diversity, right? That's, that's the outcome that you get from um, improving access supposedly. But guess what the net increase was? What percentage? Actually, put this in chat. This will be fun. Um, guess what percentage increase there was in diversity on after the, after the test optional policy? What was the net gain percentage-wise? How much more diverse on average did college campuses get after test optional? Let me see if we get anyone close to the right answer. I don't have a prize. I, I should have, we used to do prizes. All right, Kathleen, 2%. Colleen says none. Leslie says three. Wayne says one. Yeah, all right, you guys are all pretty smart. <laughs> 5%, Heidi. 5%, Brad, Mary. Good, well, yeah, 1%. So far, at least one percent. So, I, I'm not even sure how to process that, but um, they're not everything they were cracked up to be. The test optional policies. All right, let's continue. The question is: to SAT or not SAT? That is the question. Submit or not submit? So, here are my thoughts on that. Um, this is another area where people give conflicting information. So, govern yourselves accordingly. Uh, I mentioned I was a recovering attorney. Um, and, and some of the, the conflicting information actually comes from colleges themselves. So it's not just, you know, just not, not, not only people like me or guidance counselors or whomever. So um, if you're obviously if you're at, at the upper ends of the published range for the school or, or over the range, of course, submit, that's a no brainer. If you're in the low end of the range, but you're still in the range, I would actually submit and, I've seen other people say, don't submit. The problem is, in my opinion, if you don't submit, then what's the implication? It's not that you scored too high. You didn't want to show off. It's that you didn't score high enough. So I would say if you're in the low end of the range, if you're below, you know, but the lower than the bottom of the range, beneath the range, don't submit. But is that really going to help you if you don't submit? Because what happens is, the rest of your application now becomes more important. It's just simple logic. You take away a big component. Like the big three components, uh, academically speaking, are GPA, rigor, you know, SAT, I'm sorry, uh, AP and IB classes, and test scores. Those three things are approximately 60% of the equation. You take away one of those, that makes everything else much more important. So you better be relatively strong in all the other areas, GPA, rigor, and then all the extracurricular stuff, uh, which I already alluded to, and I'll spend a couple more moments on. Um, 
So there's a lot of people applying to colleges test optional. They had no shot of getting in. So just because the numbers are so wonky and skewed and weird doesn't mean that it's harder to get into college. It just means that there's more unqualified people throwing in applications because, hey, why not? They don't they won't look at my, you know, Harvard won't look at my 1320 SAT, which would be a, a good score for probably uh, 95 percent of the colleges in the country. And if you don't submit your SAT or ACT, you might be out of running for merit aid. That's not always the case, but but generally speaking, colleges award merit aid on grades, GPA, and SAT or ACT scores. Interestingly, sometimes frustratingly, they don't award um, based on rigor for, for the most part. So you can actually have a lower GPA, unweighted GPA, because you took harder classes and you may not qualify. I've seen that happen uh, a lot, kind of crappy. So if you need merit aid, you may not get it. <clears throat> so the the best advice I can give everyone is um, actually before this tip. So, so the tip is get your scores as high as possible and then decide on a college by college, case by case basis, which ones to submit to. Um, the, the, the first thing to do is to figure out which test is best. Don't take both, don't study for both, the SAT and the ACT. Take one of each or do a diagnostic. We offer that also. Um, plenty of places offer diagnostic exams. And then figure out which one feels the best, which one um, you can perform the best on. And then just choose that one because colleges accept either. Get that as high as possible. And then case by case, decide where to submit that, that, um, that score or those scores if they're super scored. <clears throat> okay, so here's some other stuff. That, that admissions officers look at. And this is, you'll, you'll never see this published anywhere because this is uh, sort of behind the scenes notes from um, a colleague and business partner of mine who was on the admissions committee at Princeton for three decades. And this is uh, his crib notes in terms of what they were trying to ascertain from co their college applicants at Princeton um, by reading into the, the reports from guidance, but the transcripts, from the teachers, um, from any interviews. The Princeton does a lot of alumni interviews and their extracurricular. So the extracurricular stuff is on the left and the essays and the uh, stuff on the right is from recommendation letters. So if, if you just take a step back, this is almost entirely character, uh, character related stuff. Stuff on the left is, you know, what, what's shown in terms of your achievements, your talents, your leadership. Those, those are things that you've done, but also in, including how you re, how are you revealed in the application and in the interview and the essay, <clears throat> service, perseverance, overcoming obstacles, etc. All the stuff on the right is, you know, a lot more qualitative. You participate in class, right? So that's a big one. If if um, you're trying to get a recommendation letter from someone and you you never participated in class that's not going to be a strong recommendation letter, right? So um, work habits, maturity, motivation, integrity, concern for others, uh, initiative, independence, like these are all qualities that come out in one way, shape, or form in the college applications. And a lot of it's between the lines. But that's why everything about your application has to be as uh, all-encompassing and near-perfect as possible to address these things, which no one ever thinks about. They think, oh, what are my grades? What are my scores? Okay, I have a good shot here. 
Well, it's, it's, it's not just about that. That's why I say characters in USAT. All right, so let's talk about um, why kids who deserve to get into college don't get in. Well, uh, college admissions is not a meritocracy. Is that fair? Is that unfair? Um, answer that yourself. It doesn't matter what, what you think, what I think. It's just the way it is. And colleges have their own agendas that may or may not overlap with your own. For example, they may want more first-generation college students. They may want more diversity. They all do. Uh, they may want more classic majors or oboists. You know, who knows? It could be something random like that. Or more classics majors who play oboe, right? It could be that niche and weird. Um, they could need, in, one, in any given year, more full-pay students, you know, people who are not going to qualify for need-based aid. Interestingly, a lot of full-pay students who can afford to write the check get, um, get merit aid. You're more likely to receive merit aid if you don't qualify for a need-based aid, interestingly. And they um, care about yield. Colleges care about yield, which is basically the ratio of kids who, who are admitted versus those who, who matriculate. The better that percentage, like Harvard is like 50%, it might be higher. Um, a bad yield is like 20%. You know, if, if only 20% of the people you admit actually come, then that's bad. And that could be bad the next time a college goes to raise money. Uh, to float a bond, to build the next $50 million aquatic uh, underground rock climbing center or other amenity um, because the yield is almost like a credit rating. That's the best analogy. And this is why at schools like Miami and Tulane, why stronger kids, academically stronger kids, don't get in while their lesser students are admitted because, in effect, these colleges are thinking, eh, there's no way this kid's going to come here. They belong at an Ivy League school. So we're not going to waste a spot on them. Um, Tulane, by the way, every year I've seen this for the last, probably as long as I can remember, they get really aggressive in trying to flip kids who applied early action to early decision two, to lock them in. And they do this every year like clockwork right around the beginning of December when most people hear from their early decision schools. And they pick up kids, they flip them to ED2 as these applicants are finding out that they did not get into wherever they applied ED1 to other schools, early decision one. By the way, if this, if these terms are um, weird to you, foreign to you, put them, you know, write me a note in chat here and I'll, I'll explain them at the end. <clears throat> All right, let me talk more about demonstrating interest because th that's important. Um, so of course, visiting, but, but logging in, you know, making sure they know you were there meeting your college reps in high school, attending their sessions online and participating in those sessions, uh, following the colleges on social media, that, that gets tracked also. Um, they are watching whether you open your emails or not. They have a very, very sophisticated direct marketing machine and they're watching. You gotta take action. Understand that everything you do has a digital trail. So use that to your advantage. Don't just don't, um, get creeped out like, it, like me. Don't just bemoan it, but do something about it. Think about this as the Eddie Haskell method of college admissions. The more um, butt kissing you do <laughs> the, uh, to the colleges, the, the more they will like, in turn like you. Eddie Haskell. I think he just passed away. Not the flowers. Gee, Mrs. Cleaver, you're looking lovely. All right. Final comments. Um, you want to have a balanced list, not just top heavy with Ivy League schools or something like that. 
be very strategic about your use of early decision, which is, um, it's not really binding, but most people think of it as binding. You can actually get out of it for financial reasons without proving anything, by the way. Um, when I say strategic, here's what I mean. If you want to go to, um, I don't know, if you if Yale is uh, is on your uh, on your on your sites in your sites and you uh, have a two percent chance of getting in there, but you'd be very happy at Wake Forest also. What's the best use of your early decision chit? Because you get one, you can apply early decision to one of those two schools. Well, most people would say yeah, Wake Forest because you're much better shot at getting in there. That's that's what I would say too. But um, if you know Yale has been your dream school since you were a baby or perhaps in utero and your parents you know, bought you Yale pajamas and all you've ever thought about is Yale, Yale, Yale. I love New Haven, um, you know, go Bulldogs. And you um, would feel terrible if you didn't give it your best shot, if you didn't leave it all on the field and you had years of therapy ensue because you didn't give it your best shot. That's something else to consider too in terms of why you should then go early decision to Yale. By the way, I think they have restricted early action, but it's the same thing. So, so um, uh, that's the, the the tension, right? You know, do I give it my absolute best shot so I don't have any regrets, or would I be really happy somewhere else where I have a better chance of getting in? Because here's what could happen: you could apply, you know, restricted uh, to Yale, knock it in, and then Wake Forest could also not let you in because you didn't uh, demonstrate interest by going early decision. Um, so that's a very real scenario. Uh, okay, people ask me a lot about early action, so that's not binding. The deadlines are earlier. The whole point of early action for these colleges, what they claim, is if you apply early action, you have a better chance of, they, okay, they actually don't say this, but they, the, the implication is you have a better chance of getting in if you apply early action, and you have a better chance of getting scholarships if you apply early action, and you are um, going to find out earlier, you'll find out in December whether you got in, which will then um, get rid of a lot of the stress of the whole cycle of college admissions. In reality, applying early action has never been proven statistically to give you a better shot at getting in. Ditto for giving you a better shot at getting money. And the last, uh, I guess, three years now, pretty much everyone who applies to early action gets deferred anyway like 80% at most colleges. So you don't find out until March or April, um, you know, when, when, when the dust settles. It does not um, shorten the tension and anxiety. It prolongs it because you get a maybe. You know, if, if you got a no, that would certainly shorten the anxiety cycle. But, but uh, eh, we don't know yet. We're going to take a look and see what else gets in, you know, comes in. Or realistically, Geez, we got so many freaking applications, we can't possibly read them all in time to give you a decision by December. That's a problem they brought on themselves. And, you know, they can't afford to hire more people to read the applications or, or train them and read them. Although, you know, all these applications have fees, you know, 100 bucks, 80 bucks, you know, whatever. So they are making a little bit more money from the increase in applications. But um, that's that's kind of the unreported story about early action. It's uh, It's been... Um, really unfortunate. So you'll never hear about the um, early decision thing being not binding from your guidance counselor. If you have questions about that, um, put it in, but it, you, you are not bound. No one can force you to go to a college if you get in. And you've got to make everything perfect, including the essays. That's the bottom line. 
as perfect as possible. There's no such thing as a perfect application. Um, and don't allow yourself to be misled by Naviance. So the most popular, for lack of a better word, software that high schools use is Naviance that um, helps kids handicap their chances, or, or moms, let's say, <laughs> handicap their kids' chances of getting into to certain schools. It is helpful, but it's incomplete, and sometimes it's misleading. There are other uh, programs out there. I think a lot of private schools use something called SCORE, S-C-O-I-R. I think it's got weird spelling, but it kind of works the same way. So don't allow yourself to be misled. Um, I don't use Naviance personally, and the, and the reason that I don't is because Naviance only looks at your GPA and your um, your test scores, but admissions officers consider so much more grade scores, rigor plus tw- twenty factors. Naviance only looks at you versus kids from your your high school, whereas you're competing with kids all over the uh, country, possibly even the world. That that's why I don't use it. I use something different that does compare. Um, kids across a whole bunch of different categories. Um, this was designed by my colleague, the, the Princeton guy, and it, the, the categories are grades, scores, SAT or ACT, level, meaning how many hard classes, how many a, APs or IBs, you know, the rigor. And then activity is a, um, is a big category that includes a lot of the personal qualities, teacher recommendations, community service, um, uh, um, you know, whether you've won awards and two or three other things that go in there and then stacks you up compared to the median of every, um, uh, for every college of every kid that they admitted the previous year. So it's a lot more comprehensive, a lot more accurate. It's not just one or two things and it's you versus everyone that was admitted the previous year. And this is actually my, um, my, I have four kids. This is my older daughter's um, screenshot from a few years ago. And I'm just looking over it right now. Pretty accurate, right? So the, the, the purple category is roughly uh, a 90% chance of getting in. The blue category is roughly a um, 65% chance of, of getting in. And the green is roughly 40 to 50% chance of getting in. And then orange is 33%, and, and red is like two, uh, two to ten percent. And she got into um, a couple in the blue, and uh, I think a couple in the green category, actually. So still accurate. All right, let's talk about essays. Really need to update this photo, don't I? Uh, we don't have a really big marketing budget, so I'm gonna stick with the uh, 1980s computer. Uh, how important are the essays? No one ever asked that. Um, oh, I guess I should answer it. <laughs> the uh, the essays don't really count much more than 10%. So a good essay can kind of solidify that the, the rest of the application. A bad essay is, is rarely going to get someone denied, but it's not going to help. Um, so it's important because it does give some of that character insight or if it's not too polished. Um, which is a whole other topic, but um, they are they are important. But yeah, you know, maybe maybe can get you over the fence a little bit. They're certainly not as important at, uh, com- relative to the inordinate amount of time and emotional energy and stress that um, people put into them. But I understand they do need to be perfect because this is your last best chance to to make that closing argument about why you should be admitted. 
All right, common application essay, what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to be interesting and to illustrate something about the applicant that is not elsewhere. It's not to regurgitate something else on the common application. It's to be interesting and, and shed some additional insight into the applicant. That, that's really all it is. Don't lose track of that. Then there, many colleges have extra essays. The purpose of those is a little bit different. Usually they have a lot to do with um, demonstrating that that particular college is a good match for you, for you, the applicant. So there is that, why are you applying here? Essay that I mentioned before. Um, if you were to answer that by saying, well, I've always wanted to go to Boston University because, um, you know, Boston is a great uh, college town and there's so many internship opportunities and your school is very prestigious and rigorous and you have so many different classes and you have so many different clubs. Um, the problem with that is, is everything because that could, that description just, you know, I probably just described about 50 colleges. So th the way that you write a good supplemental essay and avoid the, um, the generic is to get really super deep and super specific. I'm interested in Boston University for the following reasons. When I sat down with Professor Johnson in the physics department, he told me about an exchange program that physics students could participate in in CERN, Switzerland. That wasn't listed anywhere on the, on the website, but he told me about it, and he told me that about 75% of BU students um, participate in that. So, uh, so I was thrilled. I didn't know that. The second thing I learned about BU was you know, in researching the course catalog, I was struck by such and such course. Okay, see, those, those are a lot different than saying, I wanna to go to school in Boston. So the more specific, the better. All right, when you're writing a college essay, it doesn't have to be about some ginormous, um, you know, huge cultural highfalutin idea. It's okay to write about making dinner for your mom or little traditions or, or you know, little things that happen to you and your friends all the time. It's okay to go small. Again, the purpose, class, purpose of the essay, the common application main essay is to be interesting and to give you some, and to share some insight. Okay, um, I was talking to a student, uh, a 2024 kid about uh, three hours ago who was struggling with her essay. Um, she struggles a lot more with her mom in the room offering <laughs> <laughs> offering <coughs> her advice on that. Not that the advice is bad, just that the dynamic is, you know, it's tough. Uh, parents advising kids about anything, particularly college essays, that's like a third rail you don't want to touch. Um, anyway, she had some ideas, and she was like, ugh, it's just not original. There's nothing original about that. And I said, look, the average admissions officer reads about a 1,000 applications each year, and they've, they've been working there for, you know, four or five years. How original do you think you can possibly be? Whatever, you know, whatever you're writing about has been done before. Don't, don't go for original. Um, and the last one here is don't feel like you need to write one of those essays that gets circulated around where, I mean, sometimes they're, they're fun essays to read, you know, or, or interesting, like the Costco essay that went around a few years ago. Um, tell me in chat if anyone has seen the, the, the Costco essay. It was sort of like, you know, 
the uh, the produce section represents this aspect of my personality because I'm a little bit you know I don't know fruity and sour and you know blah blah, blah. but then we get to the hardware you know <laughs> and I'm really you know but so um, those essays are cute and kind of nifty right cutesy maybe but they don't get you in like a kid, you know, the, but the, you're led to believe when you read an essay, that, Oh, this kid got into Stanford. Here's their essay. They didn't get in because of the essay they got in because they're a valedictorian and they had cured cancer three times um, and, and done something else on the side um, and wrote a great essay. So don't twist yourself into knots to get overly creative and gimmicky. Um, if you can do it, great. But it's it's not necessarily going to be a better essay than something straightforward and conversational and not gimmicky. Um, has anyone seen that that Costco essay? I'm just I'm just curious because it's it's been a few years. I don't think I've seen it for a while. It's just let, let me know in chat. All right, <clears throat> six fails, six mistakes. Uh, number one, so so the essay prompts are are there, there's seven of them technically. There's really six, but the seventh is write anything you want. Uh, I recommend against that one. The um, essay fails um, include not answering any of the prompts. They're, they're so open-ended that you really shouldn't have to try too hard to write, to fold what you need to write about yourself, what you want to write about yourself into one of those prompts. So, you know, so, so sometimes what happens is you write a draft, you edit it, you edit again, five or six versions later, you love the essay, but it doesn't resemble the first draft of course and and sometimes you're not answering the prompt anymore so you need to go back and read the essay and then read the prompts and say did i answer the prompt or is am i now answering a different prompt that happens all the time too so make sure you answer the prompt because that demonstrates you can follow directions and that's what you do in college right you don't just wing it on your own you do your own uh, you do your own prompt i mean you, you can't do your own prompt you have to follow the prompt um very high level, not giving any insight into your own character, your own thoughts, your own emotions, your you know your own reactions. Um, that's a very common fail as well, because you're not trained to do that when you write English papers or history papers. You're always writing about something else, an event, a book, you know, a passage, a quote, etc. You've got to actually, you know, shed that skin and. Um, to, and write like you were having a conversation with a friend of yours at a, you know, if you're old, if you're <laughs> at, at a bar, but, but if you're um, older than 21, so at a coffee shop or something. Okay. Tone is very interesting because um, I, I'd say this is also um, not objective. So <clears throat> I remember a couple years ago, I thought an essay was pretty good. And one of our editors who was a former college admissions officer at university of Chicago, which, um, super hard to get into and known for their esoteric essays. She said, you know, this is a very good essay, but I feel like the tone is a little defensive. And then I reread it. And I was like, yeah, she's right. I couldn't put my thumb on it, but that that's actually right. So, so don't read it only for puncture and grammar and grammar and, and uh, strategy, but also look at the tone. Too many chefs in the kitchen. Yeah. If you write by committee, you're going to end up sounding like everything except you. It's it's got to sound like a kid wrote it, not a recovering attorney, not um, a mom, uh, an aunt who's an English teacher, or a 
you know, third cousin twice removed who went to Columbia. You got to have the, the voice. It's a, it's a cliche, but it's important. It's not just about having too many chefs in the kitchen, it's having the wrong chefs in the kitchen. Um, a lot of times English teachers and guidance counselors just don't understand the purpose of an essay to be persuasive. You can write a, an A paper for English and that can be the crappiest um, personal statement for the college applications. So be wary of who you take advice from. And the biggest problem I would say is writing a boring essay, failure to be interesting. It's gotta be interesting. Your first sentence has to be interesting. I think of it like a headline in a tabloid, headless body in topless bar. It's one of the most famous headlines ever from the New York Post. Um, another essay, uh, another example of an actual essay going back years ago, because I still remember this. Um, uh, so there I was about to, uh, three years after my bar mitzvah, about to receive communion and, right? How do you not want to read the second sentence? That's the whole point of the first sentence, to make the reader want to read the second sentence. Purpose of the second sentence is to get you the third sentence and so forth. So think about your admissions officer reading a thousand applications. Each application might have two or three or four essays in the cold, dead middle of winter um, hour after hour after hour. Make it interesting. Funny sometimes works, but you don't want it to be too funny. Um, I don't have time here to talk about this, but there are very few bad topics to write about. That's a whole other subject. Um, it's just as long as it's interesting, you're good. All right, here's some, uh, some tips here before we wrap up. So embrace uh, short-term discomfort. That means get these done over the summer. Otherwise, you're going to suffer severe excruciating pain in the fall. Uh, senior year is hard. Second half of senior year is not hard. First half is very hard. Get the stuff done before senior year starts. Um, don't use big words when small ones will suffice. Avoid sounding like you snacked on a thesaurus. You can't write and edit at the same time. Um, the kid that I, was, that I mentioned before who writes better without her mom giving her advice, um, she also self-edits a lot. I'm guilty of this too. I'm sure some of you guys do the same thing. You've got to just write first and, and not care about grammar, spelling, what, what you're saying, etc. Get it all out and then go back and edit it. You can't do both at the same time because you'll get stuck. You'll get analysis paralysis. Most essays need at least four or five drafts and some, some even more. Uh, that may sound like a lot to you. It's really not. But you can't do it the last minute and write a good essay because your essay needs to breathe in between drafts. Some of the best writing is done in between drafts when you're doing other stuff like walking the dog or, you know, uh, playing video games. Probably not. Take a shower. Hopefully you do that. Making your bed. God, now I'm just dreaming. And um, the best thing you can you can do is after you're done with it or at, you know, after the couple of drafts, read it to yourself and listen to you. So the words come out and you will absolutely 100% guaranteed make changes as you hear the words spoken aloud. You will pick up on stuff that you didn't see because your eyes gloss over when you're just writing stuff over and over again. You fill in things visually that, that aren't really there when you're re reading it mentally, not aloud. When you read it aloud, you'll capture those things. That things sound funny. So um, please do that. If you do nothing else, please do that. All right, let's talk money. There's two different types of aid. <clears throat> a cool aid. There's need-based aid, ha, 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 cool aid, uh, and, and there's uh, merit aid. 
And there are tax strategies for high income business owners. And uh, I don't know if he's still on, but the ancient legend, Rick, is my go-to guy, not just personally for our taxes, but also for my clients, who specializes in exactly this, helping business owners unlock money from their businesses using what he calls tax scholarships. Um, he claims he invented the term, probably did. And then there's outside scholarships from other entities, not colleges. The big money comes from colleges themselves, but there's plenty of money out there like the Coca-Cola scholarship or uh, you name it, that are very competitive. Um, but most of the uh, success I see people enjoy in terms of getting money from outside scholarships does not come from applying to the same stuff that's on the internet that everyone else applies to. It comes from local scholarships. So that's my quick advice on, on local scholarships. So real quick, in terms of need-based aid, because I do a whole other presentation on this, um, it's based in general, your, your eligibility for need-based aid is based on your income and your, your assets and your ability to pay. But it's more about where you have your money saved, not how much. Uh, and those common applications are called a FAFSA, Federal Student Aid, uh, Free Application for Federal Student Aid, and then the CSS Profile, which <clears throat> about 400 colleges require in addition to the FAFSA. Rules are complicated. They don't always make sense. You may not qualify. It's okay if you don't because there's plenty of other money out there. And the rules are changing next year. So they're changing for your 2024 graduates and anyone who's going to be in college in 2024 and beyond. So I'm going to talk really briefly about that. Um, the most important factor in financial aid is how much they think you can pay, which is currently called the expected family contribution. It is changing to the student aid index. That's one of the massive meaningful changes that the good folks at the Department of Education are laying down for next year. Nobody thinks they're EFC, and I'm going to guess the SAI is fair. Um, but that's just the way it is. You want, but you want to have a lower expected family contribution. Um, in general, though, your income penalizes you much, much more than assets. Assets count much less than your income. And in, in that group of assets, money in your kids' names, um, custodial accounts, UTMA, UGMA, those are the assets that penalize you the most. So you don't want to have money in your kids' names. And conversely, there are some assets that don't count against you at all. They're totally exempt. Wouldn't you like to know which ones they are? Well, okay. Um, <clears throat> I have a, some of you may have read this. I have a, a tabloidy report called how to hide your money from the financial aid office legally and ethically. Thank you very much. Or how to shelter your money. They're fun to discuss, but I got to tell you, they don't work for everyone. They may not pay off for you. It may not pay off for you to move money around because your income might be too high. There's no magic ceiling, by the way, for income, but on a situational case by case basis, we can figure out whether you're going to qualify or not. There are uh, slight, more, more than four shelters in the financial aid formulas, and these are assets that don't count against you on the FAFSA, on the federal form that every college takes. Your primary residence, I put an asterisk there because your, any other real estate that you own does penalize you. Retirement accounts, exempt. 401k, IRA, et cetera. Life insurance with cash value, exempt. Annuities, totally exempt. 
That's for the FAFSA, the CSS profile that 400 colleges, approximately 400 colleges take works a little bit differently, but for the most part, this is what you need to know. And the 4.5 shelters comes from, um, if you're self-employed and you own a business, currently, if you have fewer than 100 employees, your whole business is worth zero. Under the new rules that are slated to change this fall, um, business value is not going to be zero. You can still lowball it. It's still very uh, subjective. But that's why I'm saying it's a, it's, it's a half a shelter if you own a business. All right. And I mentioned before, the rules for the CSS profile are different in that the profile is about 200 questions, almost 300 questions sometimes, depending on what school's supplemental question uh, they, they ask you. And um, more inclusive. They, they penalize more stuff. So they'll penalize you for primary residence and they'll penalize you for some annuities. So the FAFSA is changing because of the uh, FAFSA Simplification Act that was passed a couple years ago and it's slated to happen this December, December of 23. And I'm guessing New Year's Eve is when it's going to come out. There's a whole lot of stuff behind the scenes that has to happen with colleges to implement this, their software, their training, et cetera. By law, they have to do it by January. I think they're going to do it right up until the uh, till the end of December. And I think it's going to be one giant cluster. You know what? It's going to be a big problem. Um, and, uh, and, and Pearl is in chat here who, who handles FAFSAs for 350-something people a year. Uh, she's going to have a... Um, a very hard time with this. So she's looking forward to it. She loves a challenge, a little pearl. So um, yeah, so the coming out, uh, it was originally supposed to come out in 2022, but that got pushed back here once all the colleges were like, hey, we can't possibly do this. <clears throat> so this is the year, 23, where we're going to see the changes in effect for 20, class 2024 and anyone who's in college in 2024 and beyond. One of the big changes is it used to be that you would be more eligible if you had more kids in college than if you had just one kid in college, if you had the same income and savings and all that. Now it's taken away. So I'm not happy about that. If we're going to have three kids in college next year. Uh, we're going to be treated as if we had one kid in college. That's, that's kind of rough. That's not cool, but that's one of the rule changes. It's not, you know, I don't like it. Um, what can I do about it? Nothing. What can you do about it? Big changes for divorce and separated families. It used to be a lot easier for the low-income spouse, um, frequently the mom in a divorce, to be the one applying for aid. That changes. Now the person applying for aid is going to be the person that supports the child according to the tax returns. It takes a, a, deductible, uh, a deduction um, for that child. And that's based on, for kids who are graduating 2024, that's based on your tax taxes for 2022, the ones that are in the books, in, in the archives already. So this could be a big monkey wrench, and uh, divorce attorneys and anyone else who consults with, um, consults with divorcing or separating families was probably unaware of this. So what do you do if that is you, if you already, you know, um, filed and now the higher income ex-spouse is one who's supposed to be applying for aid and they're not going to qualify. What do you do? 
well, uh, there's not much you can do. You might be able to file an amended return to, 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 to change the parent that declares a child, um, but it's going to be a little dicey. But going forward, understand this. If, if you're looking ahead, um, the, uh, what, what you want to understand is the IRS rules are now aligned with the FAFSA Department of Education rules. Here's good news. Um, if, if a parent sent money in through a 529 or wrote a check to a school, that would reduce the child's eligibility the following year after that, but no longer. So that's good news. We don't anticipate any changes with the CSS profile. There was some chit chat about more colleges requiring the CSS profile because the FAFSA has all these changes and it's being streamlined and it's going to ask for less information. But um, taking the CSS profile as a college financial aid office requires a ton of training. And they generally, apparently, they generally hate it because it's so complicated. So I'm not really sure if a lot more schools are going to require the profile. But I'm keeping an eye on that trend. Final thoughts. Is that if you don't qualify for, for need-based aid, that's okay. There's more merit aid than need-based. Um, colleges incent people they want to come, generally with high grades and high scores, but sometimes diverse families or other special characteristics. Um, and there's a lot more merit aid out there. Most colleges, especially the private ones, discount heavily, more than 50%, more than 56% off tuition. There's a lot of bargaining out there. Paying full price is a choice, not an obligation. The net price calculators that you'll find on every college website are a good starting point. I'm a little curious about how they're going to work with the new FAFSA rules changes. So be skeptical, but use them to get an idea of whether you might be able to qualify. Just keep in mind that the rules are going to change. And keep in mind there's no standardized way the colleges ask about the stuff on the net price calculators. So... It's a starting point. It's not written in stone. But if you end up putting in accurate data and then months and months later, you get a financial aid award that is much worse than what, than what the net price calculator indicated, that could be a basis for appealing or negotiating. So really, you want to apply to schools mostly where they want your kid, not where your child has to scratch and claw and beg, borrow, and steal their way to get into if you want money for college. And a lot of times the money is negotiable, particularly because the colleges care about their yield and they don't want to admit people who don't come. So they may you know, think it's worth a few bucks more to, um, to entice kids to come. I have so many examples of that. I, sh I actually should have uh, thrown that one in here today. I just got one about um, three or four weeks ago where um, a child a student got into Dickinson and Lafayette. She got something like $30,000 from Dickinson and zero from Lafayette. So we, we, we told Lafayette, Hey, we got a better offer from Dickinson um, here, here it is. Is there any way that you can increase it? If you can match, then we're ready to enroll and commit. So um, Lafayette gave like 10,000 bucks. And so the client said, okay, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, um, we're, I, I'm officially withdrawing my application. And then um, the day before the deadline, May 1st, the, um, I think the, the acting director of financial aid I'm sorry, the acting director of admissions at Lafayette, supposedly, emailed the client and said, uh, we have a, um, you know, the committee has just decided that we have new funds available for you. Please call me before tomorrow to uh, discuss your new award. 
So they're like, Hey, look at this. You know, they, they emailed me. He's like, Oh, the game's afoot. And, um, uh, it turns out the new offer was still not $30,000. It was closer. I, I can't remember what it was, but it was just interesting. It's like, you know, it's like going through a, a bazaar in the middle East or something with all these people hawking stuff at you. Uh, very interesting. Um, anyway, the, the, the college website stuff is inconsistent at best. All right, real quick about business owners. Then we're going to wrap up. Um, so I mentioned before, businesses are no longer automatically worth zero. I don't think that's a big, big change because most people didn't know that anyway. We have accountants who don't know this stuff. Um, but but value is still subjective. So you know you can say, okay, I have a certain amount of cash, and I have to, and I've got inventory, or I own real estate, but that doesn't mean that's the value of your business because you have other liabilities, both on the books and maybe maybe off the books. If you had to sell your business in you know in 30 days um, at a fire sale, that would be a lot different than if you marketed your business for three months and you had an auction and you got competing bids, right? So it, it can be subjective. I mentioned before the ancient legend, tax scholarships. Um, some of the things I see recommended a lot, section 127 plan, which is an employee tuition benefit plan, uh, legitimately putting kids on payroll, it's all gonna be documented, and, but you know, a lot of kids can be social media consultants. Um, storing your corporate earnings at the corporate level as a C-corp so it doesn't filter through down to you individually as an S-corp that lowers your personal income and can have other benefits too. Uh, I've, I've seen this with some of our doctor and dentist clients who have equipment. They um, gift the equipment to a, um, uh, to a family member and then lease it and deduct the lease payments. So they, they lower the corporate income uh, and get rid of some assets too. So there's, you know, talk to your account uh, about these types of techniques. They may or may not um, have heard of them, but they are all legitimate. So they're in the task code. And even if they have heard of them, they might be like, yeah, well, you know, I don't know. You know, C-Corp, no, don't. Double taxation. You know, they're just sort of trained to like regurgitate this stuff. But until you actually run the numbers and get a little creative, like the ancient legend Rick does, um, uh, you really shouldn't rule it out. You should have an open mind. And I can tell you personally as well as professionally, um, he is terrific. So I don't know if he's still on. It's probably past his bedtime. Ancient legend likes to turn in early. Um, okay, some quick negotiation tips, and then we'll wrap up. So if you're going to try to negotiate, you need to give them new information, new information that exists since the taxes that they reviewed, which is two years prior to when you apply for aid. So if you have a 2024 grad, you're going to get your award in the spring of 2024, but it's going to be based on 2022 taxes. Things might have changed. Your income might have dropped, right? Um, you might have dramatically increased expenses like, I don't know, um, legal, or you had a, uh, um, a loss, you know, um, you got sick and you had unreimbursed health expenses, unfortunately, or divorce or something like that. <clears throat> or offers from other colleges. That's my favorite, that you play off against each other ruthlessly and mercilessly. But either way, some colleges say, if you have new information, just email us. Others will say, give us a, uh, um, uh, fill out this quick form and give us some information, fill out this worksheet, whatever it is, follow the protocols. So just call them and harass them. Like look it up online, take the time to figure out how they want you to reach out to them. Don't be adversarial. Be on the same side of the bargaining table. All right. Putting it all together, this is a backwards approach, right, to launch for success post-college. And college ROI 
consists of getting it for the lower price, lowest price possible, getting more out of it than what you put in. And if you work with us or any advisor, getting a return on advisor means getting more out of it than you gave. So um, we you know, get great reviews, great testimonials. Uh, I just want to run through our program, and then I'm going to answer the Q&A here. Uh, Superintendent O'Hara knows a lot of college planners who promise results but don't deliver. In your case, I got real results. Um, case study here, uh, clients of ours for the last three years, we helped them negotiate actually $132,000 total, which is pretty good, over four years for the two kids. And, um, you know, we have kids getting to Ivies, but also regular schools. So, um, uh, Pearl, if you can pop the offer in for a free consultation, uh, uh, I want to talk to you about our program which is four parts, plan, path, position, and produce. It's not right for everyone. And it's not right for uncoachable kids. And it's not sawdust on the floor, El Cheapo. But you can see the results that our clients have gotten. It's an investment that pays off. So there's really two paths for you right now, right? You could either uh, wing it, do it on your own. Most people do that. Results are mixed at best. Uh, or you can follow a tested and proven system. So um, if you're interested in talking to us, I've reserved, this is a very, 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 very busy time of year for us. Um, I'm happy to chat with you. I personally am no longer taking on tw class of 2024 one-on-one -on -one private clients because I just can't do that. I have too many people. Um, I have four on my team who work with me to help me. So I'm still working with new clients, 2024 kids. I have a lot more room for 2025 and younger. Um, but uh, we're, it's getting down to the wire for us. We're a small shop with very limited capacity. So I blocked out nine uh, consultation sessions. You can talk to us about um, you know what type of help you're looking for and we can explore whether uh, we'd be a good fit for you or vice versa. And you can either click on that um, green button that, that should be on your screen, or if that's not displaying, you can go to getcollegeplan.com. Um, I say this every time. This is for people I haven't spoken to before. I can't do free consultations over and over again for other people. Sometimes people try to sneak it in <laughs> a little bit, which is funny to me. Um, but... Um, I'm happy to talk to you. So, so there's no pressure. And, um, if, if I don't think I can help you, I'll tell you that too. All right. Coming back on screen here. Now I'm going to go to the chat and see what the questions are. Rick calling me grasshopper. That is funny. Um, all right. No one's seen that, that, uh, essay, huh? Costco essay. All right, good. Interesting. All right. All right, questions in the chat. Let me see what happened here. Okay. I'm just going to go through them in, uh, in order. Debbie, uh, I'm wondering, will the colleges that take the CSS profile give discounts or credit for two kids in college, even though it won't be so for the FAFSA? Um, my suspicion is yes, but that's just a suspicion. So that's hopefully a good thing. 
Rochelle, not sure what the cutoff score is to not submit scores. Um, well, you got to look at the range of each school. There's there, and, and that's um, published by each school. So, um, and they're pretty clear about it. Uh, Colleen Loftus, even though early decision isn't binding in reality, you still can't apply to other schools at the same time. Correct? No, you can. You just can't apply early decision. You can you can apply to every other school on your list, either regular decision or early action. Um, Colleen, what software is this? Uh, it's a privately available software made um, for college advisors, made by Don Betterton. Um, Courtney, are colleges actually aware of which high schools are inflating grades? Yeah, yeah, they definitely are. Um, Natasha, what should juniors be doing right now to uh, oops, start the essay during summer, but do we need to start the Common App exactly on August 1st? Yeah, the Common App itself is um, not a big deal. The, the, main, um, the main part are the, uh, the, the hardest part and that requires the most thinking and revision are the essays. So we already know that what the essay topics are. They, they have not changed from last year. The Common App told us that. So um, if you're writing those essay, that essay and you start on the supplemental essays, which will be posted on the college's websites, uh, a lot of them will be posted, not all, before August 1st when the Common App comes out, then you're going to be way ahead of it. The other part of the Common Application that um, requires some thought and, and work and intellectual heavy lifting are the activities section, writing them up in a persuasive and advocating selling manner so um i would um i would start on that also if you can and then by the time the actual common application comes out you're basically filling out your name and address and a bunch of biographical stuff so there's no rush there's no sprint to uh to, to get that going august 1st um but don't pull off the essays uh thank you natasha leslie is it worth spending time applying in to smaller outside scholarships, or they just decrease the amount the college gives you. Yeah, so so that's a good point. So um, if you qualify for need-based aid and you also then get outside scholarships, that, that scholarship amount could decrease the need-based award, not the merit award, but the need-based award that you received. So number one, if you don't receive need-based aid, then no, don't worry about it. But number two, um, if it does decrease your need-based award, they usually will get rid of the loans first and then anything left over um, for uh, the free money. So I would still apply, you know, as many as you can, and then you decide later what you have to do. Uh, question from Mary. You mentioned being digitally tracked. Should we use our kids' email address and just make sure we are checking it every day? Well, your kid should be doing this. I'm not judging. I know a lot of moms do this. But your kid really is the one who should be doing this. Um, you should definitely not be doing this either directly or indirectly, in my opinion. Again, I look at this process as sort of, you know, putting on the big boy pants and growing up and being an adult. So, um, and, and I'm not saying this in a judgy way at all, but I, I am saying that um, I, I'm rephrasing the question for you. you, you your, your kid's got to be the one doing this, however it actually happens. <laughs> um, all right, so I don't see any other questions. I'm just skimming through here. So consider this your last call for questions. Going once. I'm just skimming through here. A lot of wise-ass stuff from Rick. 
So nice that he figured out how to use the internet and get on my webinar. Um, Stuart, thank you. Thank who ran to Pearl up at uh, SUNY Geneseo this weekend. Randomly, thank you and Andy again for all you do and educating us. You're welcome. That's cool. Appreciate that. Um, okay, JC. My four kids had a fantastic counselor who worked wonders with essays. <laughs> yeah. I've been saying all of them are. I mean, you know, we, that's great. Good for you. Uh, not all markers can write well. Yeah, no, of course. I know. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, a couple more here. Um, George, is the financial award from school for only one year? Do you have to apply every year for financial aid? Yes. Yeah, you do. Uh, Natasha, is it an advantage to be the first one to submit your application? Definitely not. In fact, it might be a disadvantage because you're going to be lumped in with all the other high-achieving, try-hard kids who get stuff done early. So you may not want that uh, comparison. Um, uh, cool. All right, Kathleen says thank you, and we're talking Saturday. All right, awesome. All right, guys, uh, that was fun. Thanks for uh, sticking it out with us. And again, uh, you know, um, I say this every time. Pearl and I love doing this. Um, it's it's one of the more fun things we do, and I know you're not getting this information or this perspective, you know, from other people. And I see not everyone agree with me, which I warned you was going to be the case. That's totally fine. But thanks for joining us. I know you had other things you could have done tonight, so I, I really appreciate it, and I hope you at least uh, got food for thought and found some of this valuable, because this was a non-refundable webinar. Have a good night. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the College Planning Edge podcast. For more information about our Inner Circle Group Coaching Membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water of the whole college planning morass, um, and get access to our double secret software, College Guru software, that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat, juicy, merit aid, and need-based aid opportunities, as well as some other benefits, check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at LockwoodInnerCircle.com and use the coupon code PODCAST for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.